So the Bible reading comes from Luke 15, which in the Church Bibles um, starts on page 848. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, Thank you, Alex, for reading that Bible passage to us. It's a fabulous passage, isn't it? A well-known parable, uh, yet uh, very uh, powerful at the same time. Uh, So don't let the fact that you know it, so you've heard it multiple times, 
take away the message of this today. We do acknowledge just before I start that uh, with our families camp, we had about 45 people while we gather here, gathering on a campsite in Winmalee in the Blue Mountains. About 10 families, about 45 people all up. So uh, keep them in your prayers as well. Friends, I love the fact that God is a God of second chances. And uh, let me tell you about Vicky. Uh, Vicky grew up in a family that did not believe in God. And I met her many years ago, but she was a teenager, age of 13 and 14. In her peer group, she said, and in our group, 13-year-olds, we're all sleeping around with our boyfriends. It was just normal in where we grew up. And uh, she was far from God uh, without hope in the world. She was invited to a place where she would hear the gospel in a youth group. She came to her senses. She repented, trusted in Jesus, and her life was transformed. I remember her standing up at a camp I was leading at, telling her story, a very vulnerable story, of sinfulness and transformation by the grace of God. Stephen was a member of a Vietnamese gang in Sydney. His life was filled with trouble. He would end up in jail unless something happened. A friend of mine told him about Jesus. Stephen came to his senses, he repented, and his life was transformed. Jason Stevens, you'll be familiar with, successful rugby league star for Australia and the Cronulla Sharks. He said he was doing his own thing, living in a moral life, but then his brother was converted. And Jason checked out the gospel, came to his senses, repented, and his life was transformed. Isn't it wonderful how God takes rebels and prodigals and draws them to himself? A God of new beginnings, a God of second chances, no matter what you've done. Because salvation, friends, is a matter of God's grace rather than our goodness. It is not what we do, but what God has done for us in Christ through his death and resurrection that we'll remember later this service in the Lord's Supper. But remember the context of the parable if you want to understand the parable correctly. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. I love that. They wanted to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the tax collectors, or the teachers, sorry, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus, as often in his life, was in trouble with the religious guys. He was in trouble with the Pharisees, in trouble with the teachers of the law, because in trouble with the Sadducees. He was in trouble because he didn't fit the mold of what they thought the Messiah would be like. Because Jesus had come to seek and save the lost. They didn't think they were lost. And the Pharisees would look at the prostitutes, the tax collectors, these cheats who worked for the hated Roman army. And they could not understand why Jesus would spend time with them. So Jesus tells some parables to make his point. Three of them, in fact, in chapter 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So our third and final parable we'll explore this morning. And the first thing we see is the father's love for a prodigal son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, and I, I have no idea how he would say this, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Friends, the son's request is scandalous. 
It is unbelievable. It should never be made. Give me my share of the estate. I don't want you, Dad. I want your things. I don't want you. I want your things. Kenneth Bailey uh, is a scholar and an author, worked for many years in the Middle East. And for 15 years, he said, I tried asking uh, people from all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for an inheritance while the father is still living. What would happen if someone went and asked their living dad for their inheritance? Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never, he said. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? This request means that he wants his father to die. He said he came across two instances in the 15 years that he asked this question, knowing the teaching of Jesus in Luke 15. And he said it's only two. And a Syrian farmer's oldest son asked for his inheritance. And in great anger, his father drove him from his house. The son's request in this parable is scandalous. Everyone listening to this story knows is scandalous. They are shocked by the request. They will also be astonished by the father's response. The father divided the property between them. And you think, what sort of parent is this who gives in to their child's reckless demands for rebellion and independence? What type of father gives in to their request to wish they were dead? The answer, of course, is it is a divine parent. It's a parable. It's a story about God's love and how we rebel against God and run away from God and do our own thing. And yet God says, if that's what you want, go ahead. We say to God, I wish you were dead. Get out of my life. I'll do it my way. And this is exactly what this young guy did. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, gets his belongings, setting off on a new journey, set off for a distant country, away from family, squandered his wealth in wild living. You can imagine what's involved in that. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, Jewish guy in a pigsty. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The reckless chase for life and satisfaction. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're right there now. You're still chasing uh, this reckless chase for life and satisfaction away from God, squandering your wealth in wild living getting drunk with your mates, sleeping with prostitutes, partying on. This is what this man does. He has plenty of friends when he has the money. When it runs out, he has no one. He wanted to do his own thing. I remember uh, a friend of mine, uh, let's just call him JT for now, and he was a, a Bible teacher, speaker. He was speaking at some conferences I was at, probably when he was in his 40s, 50s. And he shared his testimony. He said he grew up in a loving Christian family. Uh, Dad was a pastor. And one day he decided at the age of 19 or 20 that he would go on this reckless chase for life. 
It said, I went off to wild living. I partied on. I said, what happened? I said, I ended up in a gutter on the street in Surrey Hills. Lost everything. I thought I was going to find satisfaction, but I didn't because alcohol abuse and uh, sexual uh, promiscuity doesn't lead to satisfaction and meaning. He said, I ended up in a gutter. I'd lost everything. I said, how did you get here? In the gutter in Surrey Hills, I said, one day a Salvation Army woman was walking to church, an older lady. She stopped next to me and she talked to me. And I said to her, if you can convince me that there is a God of love, then I'll come and follow you. And he went with her to church and he came back to Christ, transformed by Christ. And then when I met him, he was used by God to preach the Bible and teach others and to disciple believers. But at one time, he was that prodigal. Maybe some of us have been that prodigal and you sit here today restored because God is gracious. Friends, we're all tempted to tell God to get lost at different times. We want his things Money, homes, holidays, but we don't want him. A friend of mine who was in ministry a number of years ago had a daughter who who ran away from home at 14 or 15, moved in with an older man, started a sexual relationship. She moved far from God. It broke the parents' hearts and it breaks God's heart. I do pray that one day she will come back to Christ. Not the case at this point. The younger man uh, chases freedom, ends up in a pigsty, and you would know the Jews don't eat or work with pigs. It's a dishonorable place for a Jew. He is a living tragedy. And I think, why, why is it here? Because Jesus wants to illuminate for us, even as we gather in a nice, comfortable, safe Western church. It's a tragedy of all of us when in our foolishness, We try to be free in an impossible way. We are not the captain of our own souls. We are made for a relationship with God. And uh, one of my favorite stories about Muhammad Ali, and I've shared this multiple times over the years here, is about, picture this, Muhammad Ali, the former great boxer, is on an airplane flying across America for one of his title fights. Suddenly the captain announces, imagine you're on the plane, Ladies and gentlemen, will you please fasten your seatbelts? We're about to enter a storm and we'll experience some quite severe turbulence. For a captain to be so blunt, it had to be bad immediately. Everyone did as they were told. When I'm on an aeroplane and they say that and the aeroplane starts to shake, the belt's on, right? Everyone except Ali, sitting confidently up in first class with his belt obviously undone. When the flight attendant who was checking everyone's seatbelt saw Muhammad Ali, she said, Sir, the captain has asked us to fasten seatbelts. We're about to enter a storm. It could be dangerous. And he lay back and replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she replied, Superman don't need no aeroplane. The arrogance 10 kilometers above the ground in a great big piece of aluminium in the middle of a dangerous storm. He needed the seatbelt. He needed the flight attendant. He needed the captain. He needed the plane. Friends, for some of us, the hardest thing to do in the world is to admit our weakness and our failure. We are not superman or superwoman. 
We need God's help and we need God's forgiveness. This young man came to his senses, verses 17 to 19. He faced certain truths about his situation and he faced them honestly. He is lost and he is guilty. The first thing that he was lost, he needed someone called father. He rejected his father, he moved away from his father. He just wanted his father's things, but he didn't want his father. He realizes he needs his father. Augustine, one of the great prodigals of the church, said, you are God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have been restless, you come back, and you just trust in Jesus, and there is peace. We toy with material things, they don't ultimately satisfy. Human relationships will not do it either, by the way. We need a relationship with God. He sits in the pigsty, he appreciates his true identity as son of the Father. He's lost, but he's also guilty. And I like this because he's honest enough to say, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. Notice this, against heaven and against God and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Friends, Jesus tells this story because he wants us to know that we're all guilty of rebelling against the ultimate father. Lost, we need him. Guilty, we have sinned against him. And if you ever doubt that we have sinned against God, just look at the cross where a saviour is hanging there in our place for our sins and our failures. Just look at the, the Lord's Supper, the table of remembrance, because Jesus wanted us to know that no matter what happens in life, that's how you remember him. Dying, suffering in our place. If you think God didn't need to save us, and I have had people say, oh, I didn't need God to die for me, I'm fine, thank you, I'm pretty good, better than most people. They don't realize that they're lost and they're guilty. But when you come to face the cross and the beauty of the cross, you realize that you need saving. For Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So the son realized not just that he was lost, that he was guilty also. He needed his father's fellowship and he needed his father's forgiveness. So I will set out and go back to my father. That is a very courageous step. And I often say to people who are thinking about Jesus, you're going to take a courageous step to come to Christ. Say no to your old way of life. Yes to Jesus. It is courageous. It takes guts. It's costly, but it's worth it. I don't know what he thought his father would say. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your run going, oh, what's dad going to say? What happens if he kills me or chases me out? I've shamed him in the community. Everyone knows that I've given him the money he's taken off. I'm already an embarrassment in my community. What dad do? What does the dad do? He doesn't say, get lost, you filthy excuse for a son. He doesn't say, you insulted me, you shamed me, I never want to see you again. No, he doesn't, does he? While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Friends, the father has been waiting and watching. You have a son or a daughter who's done the wrong thing? They've run away. 
and then the phone rings and you hope it's them and it's not. Your heart breaks for another few hours, another few days, another few weeks, maybe months. You're hoping, you're praying, you're waiting. And I think this is the picture of the Father because the Father represents our God and where God is waiting, God is looking for our repentance and our coming back to Him. He's already sent His Son to die for us. He's ready to embrace anyone who comes back to Him. Waiting and watching. Imagine the Father on His veranda looking out. Could it be my son? No, it's someone else's son. Another day, He looks out. But this day in the parable, it's His Son. He said, I think it's him. I think it's him. He's getting closer. And then he, he says, it is him. And he can't help himself. He can't wait for the son to come up to him. He goes to the son. Friends, that's a picture of our God. He comes to us. And the father, we're in humility and grace, runs. We're told that in ancient Middle, Middle Eastern culture, the dads don't run. I know what that's like, too tiring to run. But I mean, in that culture, they didn't run. You see, respect means you stand and they come to you. And they wear these long tunics, so he's pulling up his tunic, running to his son. Embracing him, forgiving him, restoring him. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Wonderful transformation has taken place. The father welcomes the son home. Restores him to his prior position in the family. God does not grind our faces into the dirt when we come home. He shows grace and mercy and welcome through the cross of Jesus. I love this cute story told by Max Licardo in his book, Six Hours, One Friday. He's talking to his little daughter who was quite young at that stage. Her name was Jenna and she was four years of age. And uh, as a conversation, uh, she made a confession. She said, Daddy, I took a crayon and drew on the wall. Like a typical kid, right? There's, there's crayons all over the wall. He said, I sat down on her on my uh, lap and I... I tried to be wise. And I said, is that a good thing to do, Jenna? No, she says. What does daddy do when you write on the wall? You spank me. That's the old days when you're allowed to. What do you think daddy should do this time? Love. <laughs> Smart kid. And Licata writes, don't we all want that? Don't we long for a father who, even though our mistakes are written all over the wall, will love us anyway? Prodigal son admitted he was lost and guilty. His only hope was his father's forgiveness and experienced extravagant grace. And friends, sometimes our prayers, our passionate prayers for our, our rebellious sons and daughters or brothers and sisters or mothers and fathers, God will use to draw them home. Chrissy is uh, the daughter of Jim Simbala, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. Marvelous story of God's work through that uh, Jim and his wife in Brooklyn. But you see, they moved into a really tough area when there was very little uh, gospel ministry there and uh, their daughter as a teenager rebelled. There you are trying to reach the rebellious in New York City and your own daughter 
thinks no, and she runs away with others. She left home, entered into dangerous relationships, and said it was so hard, it was, it's like a dagger in your heart every time you hear another story. And she wouldn't respond, wouldn't come home. And one day they had regular prayer meetings, the Brooklyn Tabernacle is known for its uh, uh, prayer ministry, and they were meeting mi- midweek, praying, and someone in the middle of it, and they almost given up praying for Chrissy. Um, you know, how often can you do it? How often can you raise uh, the name of your child to your church? After a while, you, you pray quietly. And then someone in the middle of this uh, prayer said, I sense God wants us to pray for Chrissy tonight. And so they started to pray. And uh, Jim Simbola says it was like, uh, as painful as pe- people pray, it was like a labor room. For a woman giving birth, it was loud, it was passionate, it was engaging. It was like, we're calling out to God, God, you've got to do something. God, you are our only chance. He went home and he just said to his wife, God just did something. I don't know what's going on tonight. Next morning, Chrissy turns up. Jim's upstairs, uh, mum's downstairs, uh, I think I remember the story correctly, it's written in one of his books, Chrissy says to mum, where's dad? I want to see dad. Wife goes up and said, uh, Jim, come down, uh, Chrissy's home, she wants to talk to you. So wow. Chrissy's down there and she asks this question. She's broken, she's on her knees sobbing, saying, daddy, who was praying for me last night. Who was praying for me last night? Dad, I don't know what happened, but last night, I just sensed, I saw my lostness, I saw my guilt. Daddy, who was praying for me last night? That prodigal came home. Went on to follow Jesus, get married, involved in gospel ministry, herself bringing hope to others. But then there's the other son, the proud son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Why does Jesus introduce the older son? Oh, we've just had a great story, right? Most sermons, oh, isn't that great? God welcomes us back. But the first son is not the point of the story. Oh, come on, Angie, you just spent 25 minutes on that. <laughs> sure, it's an important part. But Jesus tells the parable... For the second brother, because the second brother represents the religious leaders and the Pharisees who are complaining that Jesus is hanging out with the prodigals and the sinners. It was aimed at them for criticizing Jesus. And they say, look, he says, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Do you hear the whining self-pity in that sentence? been slaving for you. Not, I've been your son and enjoying working with you. No, no, I've been slaving for you, Dad. The spirit of the Pharisees, one of the 99 righteous who don't think they need to repent. The older brother is still at home. His relationship with his father was as distant as his brothers in the remote country. So you can be at church every week, and this is the point of the parable. You can come every week, and when you hear about sinners getting converted, you think, oh, I'm not sure God will just let them into heaven <laughs> that easily. You know, I've been slaving for God. I've been on a music roster, running Bible studies. I'm doing all these things. And I, 
God's not blessing me. I'm not, no, I'm just slaving for God. There's no joy in any of this. Don't, don't end up there, will you? Don't end up there. Don't be like the Pharisees, the religious leaders, like the oldest son. He became angry and refused to go in. He chose to miss the party. His father runs a great celebration, a party. This is village community, right? And in the village, everyone's there. Everyone's been invited. The son, he's back. My son's back. My son's back. Come, come and eat with us. Come and drink with us. Come and laugh with us. My son was dead. He's alive. Come. And everyone's there. But the other son, he comes in. Not coming. He's at the door. Refusing to come in. The father goes out to him too. Remember how the father ran to the other son? Now the father goes out to him. He's not coming into the party. He's standing outside of the, the doors of the home or the village. My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You're precious. You're appreciated. You're valued. Son, come in. Rejoice with me. End of the story. He doesn't go in. Can anyone be so foolish as to choose hell in preference to heaven? Yes, they can. And normally the reason is pride. The younger son comes to his senses. He refused to keep his pride. He had the humility to repent and and be rescued and reconciled to his father. The older brother refused to do so. In his pride, he stays outside. Just as the pride of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would keep them outside of the kingdom of heaven. It was their pride that would consent to Jesus' death and execution on a cross. Let me conclude. I want you to be captured, captivated by the grace of God. There's another story told by Max Licardo in his book, No Wonder They Call Him the Saviour. Story of another mother, This time a mother, not a father, and a prodigal daughter. Maria is the mother. Christina is the daughter. Growing up in Brazil, Christina had very little. They were a poor family. She would sleep on a pallet on the floor. They had a little wash basin and a wood-burning stove. She dreamt of a better life in the city. And one day she took off. She ran away to the city and her mother's heart was broken. Knowing a young girl in the city in Brazil with no money and no influence, there's only one thing she would do. She would end up working the streets. She would end up being abused by others. So Maria packed her things, sought out to find and protect her young, attractive daughter. On her way to the bus stop, uh, Ricardo says she went to a drugstore And to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, you've done that before, spent all the money she had to take pictures of herself, little pictures, as many as she could take. With a purse full of black and white photos, she got on the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. She began her search for her daughter. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation of street walkers or prostitutes. At each place, this is what she did. She left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, attacked on a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner phone booth. Just kept putting her photograph up in case her daughter saw it. 
messages of hope, messages of life. In the back of each photo, she wrote a note. Soon Maria's money ran out, ran out, she went back to her home in Brazil. A few weeks later, Christina, coming down the stairs of a seedy hotel, he says, face tired, her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken, her dream had become a nightmare. She now longed to be back home with her mother, sleeping on a secure pallet. Yet the village seemed too far away. But one day she reached the bottom of the stairs, he says. Now eyes, nose, familiar face. This would be freaking out, wouldn't you? You walk down the stairs of a hotel and your mother's photograph's there. She pulls off her mother's photograph. She turns it over. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she went home. You may be like the prodigal son. You may be like the elder brother. God says, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. I died for you. I rose again for you. I'm a God of second chances. I'm a God of new beginnings. Friends, that message brings hope to us, and that is the message we are called to share with others. Amen.